I want to talk about the love of God a little bit more. I want to talk about walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? What, it, what kind of paradigm did Jesus come to bring us as followers of Christ? John chapter 9, we see a story where Jesus uh, passed by and there's a man that was born blind. Now, this is one of the four messianic miracles. In the culture of this day, um, there was a belief, the rabbis taught the Messiah would do four specific miracles. One of them was the healing of a man born blind. Uh, The other three, one was raising someone from the dead who had been dead more than three days because Hebrews at that time believed the spirit was actually close the spirit soul was close to the body for the first three days. After that, it was too late. And he raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, the man born blind. The other two miracles, one was cleansing and making a leper whole, and then healing a deaf and dumb spirit. So Jesus, this is a sign. This is a big deal. Jesus encounters this blind guy, but he also encounters a, a group of Bible answer man. Uh, men, a, a group of people that love to analyze things. And they love to blame. They love the blame game. They love to point faults out. And I want to talk about what we see in this story. And we're going to look at a few different scriptures where Jesus talks about being the light of the world and walking in the light. And I pray that we learn what it means to walk in God's light and we learn to represent him as his ambassadors as we share this word with you this morning. I'm going to start reading John chapter 9. Are you with me? Verses 1, and we're going to just read it together. Now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spit on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Stop right there. I just had an idea. Can you imagine we do a healing service and we get a bucket of dirt And the elders just spit in the dirt, make clay, and we anoint all the sick people. I wonder how many people would come to that service. (laughs) Jesus takes dirt and the substance of who he is, the God-man of his very saliva, and he mixes it together and it causes a creative miracle to happen. It kind of reminds me of the story of creation where God took dust And he breathed into it, and it became a living soul. He breathed into Adam. Goes on, it says, uh, after that, he said, when he had said these things, he spit on the ground. Verse 7, go wash. He tells the blind guy. Now, get this picture. This guy's blind. The Pharisees are questioning him. Well, who sinned that this man was born blind? And they're analyzing the situation, and they have their own worldview about why bad things happen. They have their own understanding and they're analyzing. They're religious. They're, they're trying to be perfect. They're trying to keep up with the law. They're possessed with not only a legalistic spirit, but also uh, an analytical, uh, demonic, um, slanderous, accusatory spirit. I mean, this is something that has seized their minds and their thinking for generations. And they say, who sinned? So Jesus in this situation comes 
he does this, and then you have this blind guy who's got mud made of dirt and spit in his eyes. And Jesus says, now go wash in this pool called Siloam, which is translated scent. If you have that, you might want to underline that verse in verse 7. It says, he went and he washed and he came back seen. Come on, somebody. We're going to get to the, some of the rest of the story in just a moment. But I want to talk to you this morning about what does it mean to walk in the light? Jesus, he, he's revealing who he is to humanity. And remember, the old covenant does not reveal God clearly. Actually, um, Paul put it this way, that the old covenant actually veiled who God was. But it's interesting how much of our worldview and our understanding of God is based on the old covenant or based on Job who didn't even have a covenant with God. Hello? Well, I'm just having a Job experience. Well, that's a lie because we're in a new and better covenant. It's not possible to have a Job experience. That's a shadow. Jesus is a reality. Jesus shows up on the scene. He reveals who God is. Hebrews chapter 1 says he is the express image of God. He is the exact in the Greek. It's the exact representation. He tells Philip, if you look at me, you're looking at the Father. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1 that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the reality of who God is. Jesus shows up on the scene and they're questioning him and they say, so whose sin was it? We always want to blame. It's like we're fascinated with blaming. Religion is fascinated with putting the blame on somebody else, why they're sick or why they're hurting or why there was a tornado and it killed a bunch of people, that it must have been God or it must be because they're Muslim. Or We have all these concepts that don't come from God. They come from religion. They come from fallacy. They come from an error, a, a view of God that is not perfect. It's a view of God that is, is actually wrong. And we think it's light, but it's actually a system of darkness. We think that, that light is supposed to expose sin. And we have this understanding. We just want to point out all the flaws and faults of people's lives. But that, my friend, my sister's brother, it is not the gospel. And Jesus heals this guy. Let's get to that in a minute. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5 with me real quick. Matthew chapter 5. Are you all with me this morning? Are you ready for me to preach? Because I'm about to preach to you. I know that's not a word, but that's okay. My mom used to throw her shoe at me when I said that word. Jesus talked about being the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5. Sometimes we're so fascinated with the Ten Commandments, we want it on the wall of, of our courtrooms, which that's okay. I think we should put the Beatitudes on the wall of our homes. It's a different paradigm. Jesus came to bring a different paradigm. And he begins to preach the known Sermon on the Mount. Luke calls it the Sermon on the Plain. But we see the difference in the Synoptic Gospels and he's preaching and in verse 13, he says, you're salt and you're light and you're the light of the world. Now, in this message, he begins to talk about light and he talks about the way that we relate to people. Um, sometimes we need to get back to the red words. We are following Jesus. Amen. We are following his example. We, we want to learn his way. We are following the master. And if you read Matthew 5 and 6 and 7... Jesus changes the paradigm. I want, to, I want to focus on a few verses here, verses 43 through 48. 
You've heard that it was said, you'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. I wish I could just cut that out of my Bible, don't you? (laughs) Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Last week we talked about the concept that is incorrect that God the Father poured His wrath on Jesus on the cross. And we talked, and I want you to get that, I want you to listen to that message because it's so important you understand why that's taught in Reformed theology. That The church did not believe that uh, until um, about 500 years ago. And it came from one concept of somebody's theology. And I, I want you to get that because sometimes we like an angry God. We don't realize it, but we like a God that want, that's going to be retributive because it fits what we want. It fits our persona that if someone hurts me, they're going to pay. But that's not what God looks like. Jesus changes the paradigm. Now listen, I know people get hurt. You're going to be offended, okay? But what you have to learn is not to hold on to that offense. You have to learn to get God's heart for life and people and be merciful. Jesus says, love your enemies. Amen. Let me read on. It says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you without reward, what have you? If you love those that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. He is destroying the political, religious, elitist system of the Pharisees. God bless you, bro. But somebody who we don't know is not saved walks in the church and, oh, hi, yeah, God bless. It should be the opposite. This inclusive part of God's heart. Jesus is saying, you got to love your enemies. He's bringing a new paradigm. Now I want to focus on verse 48. We all know it. Many of us have it memorized. Therefore, you will be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. Is anyone here perfect? Rochelle just said yes. You are, baby. You're so fine. Mm. Girl, and you're all mine. I was about to do a little freestyle. It's interesting that that word fits our paradigm because it's kind of like that Pharisee situation where, well, who's sin? We want to analyze everything. We want perfection. We demand perfection because God demands perfection. Is that really what Jesus is saying? I want you to just marinate on that verse. Just kind of let it sink in your heart. We're going to unpack it a little more. I'm going to give you some, some revelation on what Jesus is saying in just a moment. Amen. Turn back over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Again, we're, we're seeing this story where Jesus is dealing with this Pharisee system. Now, in order to accurately teach you this, this message, I want you to get the picture of what happened just before this. Just before this, a woman is caught in the act of adultery. The law said that she was to be stoned. 
So they come, the Pharisees, that same spirit, they want to expose everybody's sin. They come, they walk up, and they say, uh, she was caught in adultery. Some scholars say she had no clothes on, so she's totally naked and in shame, possibly with no clothes. And they throw her before Jesus, the rabbi, testing him just like she's trash, like she has no value. And they say, what are you going to do with her, Jesus? You know what the law says. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories that represents what the gospel really is. Jesus says, if you don't have any sin, then go ahead and stone her. Paraphrase. He sits down, he stoops down and he writes. We don't really know what he writes. I heard one person say that he thinks he wrote a couple names of the Pharisees standing there with stones that actually slept with her. I don't know if that's true, but that's, that's scary. Those are the first two dipped out. I'm out. I wasn't even here. Jesus stands up and he says, woman, look at me. And he says, where are your condemners? Where are they? She's like, no one's here to condemn me. He said, that's right. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, this is the picture. This, there was a satanic assault on, on these messed up people through the religious system. You're going to get it more in just a moment, but I want you to just, this is the picture. Now in John 9, they're mad at Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. And they're questioning the blind guy. So he gets healed, mud in his face, go wash in the pool of Siloam, the pool called Scent. He washes and he can see a man born blind, one of the four messianic miracles. It's a sign. It's a miracle. It's amazing. The Jews are like, this can't be of God because this guy healed on the Sabbath. How can a sinner heal on the Sabbath? And the blind guy, I don't know if he was a sinner. All I know is I was blind and now I see. They're questioning the parents. The parents are like, listen, our son is old enough to speak for himself. You go ask him. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. So they're about ready to excommunicate this blind guy who's been born blind and Jesus just healed. And they ask him again, what happened? He's like, I told you what happened. Read the story later. I I don't know. Do you want to be his disciples? You keep wanting to hear this story. He healed me. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I was blind and now I see And then Jesus questions the blind guy. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man or the Son of God? And he said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus says, you have seen him, and that's the person you're talking to. Then he says something. I want to focus on three verses here. Jesus said, for judgment I've come to this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Now pause for a moment. Judgment and condemnation are, are not the same thing. Jesus is talking about a decree of truth that distinguishes right from wrong. That's judgment. Hello? That's not condemnation. There are other verses. Actually, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's talking about condemnation. Hello? So if you understand this in context, you understand. He says, I'm coming to to bring the sword, not not in the, the violent sense, but I'm coming to distinguish that which is right and that which is wrong. Now, I want you to look at me Uh, or look with me at verse 40 and 41. Some of the Pharisees who were there with them said, uh, uh, so are we blind also? They asked Jesus. Now look what Jesus says. This is so powerful. He says, if you were blind, you would have no sin or guilt. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains 
or your guilt remains. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you guys are fascinated with darkness because what you think is light is actually darkness. He heals this guy and he says, I'm the light of the world. They're questioning, what was it that caused this man to be born blind? They always want to cause and effect. It's like karma. They want to know it was, must have been the sins of his father. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, it talks about the sins of the father, which Ezekiel actually disagreed with that. So there's this tension in the Old Testament. You have Job, and then you have Proverbs, and you have... But Jesus comes and says, it's none of that. He says, you're asking the wrong question. What you should be asking is, how do we fix this thing and bring God's mercy and grace on the scene? That's the heart of God. He says, you're not asking the right question. But the point is, is he was showing them that your concept of wanting to accuse is not light. It's actually darkness. It's the wrong paradigm. It's the wrong way. It's the wrong value system. So he says, if, if you're blind, you would have no guilt. In other words, you're pointing out everyone's flaws and failures, and you are guilty of that condemnation. But if you were blind, then you would see. Are you getting this? It's kind of like this. Do you know that the way we think about future past is futures forward, past is backward, right? It's a metaphor. Hello? Does that make sense? Future is what? Forward, past is backward. You know, in Hebrew, it's the opposite. The word for future is behind. The word past is in front of. Why? Because you can see your past, but you can't see your future. It, we, we think differently. And Jesus is saying, no, you're, you're thinking this wrong. You think that your accusatory spirit coming in, well, you're fascinated with darkness. It's dark. It's not God. It's not light. Well, I'm coming to expose your sin, and you're not keeping the law, and you healed on the Sabbath, and you must be a sinner, and who's, who, why, why did this tornado happen? They must have been sinners. That's why God sent this tornado. How about it was just a tornado? And how do we fix it? Hello? How about Christians start walking in authority like Jesus did and rebuke the winds and the waves? Instead of, oh, the hurricane that killed all those people, sinners. It's the wrong paradigm. We're fascinated with darkness. Let me tell you a couple of real quick stories. Um, I, I have five kids. My methods of parenting have evolved over the years, okay? So um, what I'm about to tell you, don't judge me, okay? But let me just tell you that... Uh, I, my kids are not afraid of anything. And my method was, I'm just going to scare the living daylights out of them when they're real little, and then they won't be scared later. I'm scared of the dark. You're scared of the dark? I'll show you scared of the dark, you know. I would just, I'd mess with them and stuff, and I, I mean, I loved them, but sometimes I, I scared them pretty bad. How many know we're fascinated with fear, right, as a people? We love haunted houses and Halloween and scary movies. There's people here. You know you love scary movies. Darkness. We love darkness. Let me tell you one of these stories. We, uh, we went to a haunted house. This has got to be like eight or nine years ago. I think this is one of the last times I was at a haunted house. My wife wouldn't go with me because she's a scaredy cat. So my sister-in-law, Alicia, went with me. Alicia, you remember this? Okay, so we're at this haunted house. It's not that scary. You walk in. It's like, oh, I'm scared. And then there was this one part. And Alicia's in the front. I'm behind her. I got her back. You know what I'm saying? This is my sister. I got her back. I ain't scared of nothing. Until the chainsaw guy was behind me, <laughs> my whole paradigm changed. I turned into a little sissy girl right at that moment. And I didn't realize it until later because fear makes you do crazy things. Selah. 
I literally shoved her out of the way. She told me later, she's like, Zach, why did you do that? And I'm trampling on her legs. I'm like, move out of my way. The chainsaw guy's behind me. We're fascinated with fear and darkness. One time I dressed up. I didn't dress up, but I put like a, a long wig on and a trench coat. And I was down the dark hall. And I'm like, hello, to my kids. And they're like, Woo! And I'm thinking, if I scare them now, they won't be scared of the dark. Probably not the best method. But they're not afraid of the dark. It's true. Isn't that horrible? Thank God for forgiveness. Are we fascinated with darkness as a people? And what we think is light is actually darkness. There is a verse in the Bible that says that. Maybe our value system of what we do to present the very gospel that Jesus came to change. He said, no, love your enemies. No, forgive those that hurt you. And then, and then we have this story here where Jesus says, he turns it around. He says, no, you're asking the wrong question. It's not a matter of what caused it. It's a matter of how we're going to change it. You see, light that comes from God doesn't just expose sin. It exposes everything hidden and it heals it. Hello? Sometimes our very wounds need to breathe and allow the sun to hit it. We need the light of God to come and heal the disease of sin. But it's not the light of an accusatory condemning spirit. Amen. Now, I want to I take you to 2 Corinthians 5, and then we're going to close. We're going to jump back to Matthew, and I'm going to let you go. Are you ready? Are you enjoying this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Love this chapter. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul, talking to the church about being reconciled to God. Now, I want, I want you to grab a hold of this. The way that we see things, the way, however you look at life, is what's going on in your heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he says things like, if you're looking at a woman with lust in your eye, you've already committed adultery in your heart. We think that it's like in that instance, in that moment, that's just like adultery. Well, true, but what he's saying is if you're having a problem with your eyes, it's a heart issue. Hello? So how do we, how do we get rid of this religious thing where we can really represent God and represent Jesus and the gospel appropriately where we're not fascinated with darkness. But we love and we bring the good news that leads people to repentance. You know, it's God's goodness that leads people to repentance. Amen? It's not fear. It's not condemnation. It, it is not guilt and it is not shame. For some reason, we represent or we, we present the cross as this place where you have to be made, you have to feel like you're the worst person ever and then you can repeat a prayer. Hello? Well, you're so sinful. Let me just take you to Romans Road. You're just sinful. You're horrible. You didn't deserve anything. Yeah, would you repeat this prayer after me? Pray after me. Dear Jesus, like, really? How about like God is so ravished over you and you're so valuable. Jesus said the Father has every hair on your head numbered. That's not a context of his omniscience and knowing everything. That means that he has enough time and you're the focus of his gaze that he'll count every single one of your hairs and take time doing it because he loves looking at you. God's so holy, he can't look upon sin. (sighs) No, he forgives sin and he sees value. 
So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying, listen, you're reconciled to God. Let me just read you a few verses. Verse 12, 2 Corinthians 5. For we do not commend ourselves again, but give opportunity to boast in our behalf, that you may be an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. We're beside ourselves, for it is God, and we are all of a sound mind. It is for you. Verse 14. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. It's God's love that surrounds us so that we surrender because there's no love like his love. That's the good news. And he says uh, here, he's telling them, if one, we judge this. If one died, then all died. If one died for all, who did Jesus die for? Did he just die for the church? He died for everybody. He died for the whole world. God so loved the world, the cosmos, the whole planet, the whole round ball that revolves around the sun. God so loved agape. He loved the world that he gave Jesus. That's the good news. Well, you have to read the next verse. It says that those that don't believe are condemned already. Yeah, they're condemned because they don't believe, because they think they're condemned, because they don't believe, because they're in the darkness. Hello? Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, to condemn the world. I came to save the world. First John 3 says that Jesus didn't just die for your sins, but the sins of the whole world. But we have this elitist Phariseeism that we've been programmed with where we're blessed and highly favored and the world needs to know they're sinners so they repeat after us in this little prayer that gets them to be good. And Paul's like, no, if he died for everyone, then all died. In other words, you're included in his death with the whole world. Well, he died in my place. No, you died with him. I'm throwing some theology out there. You've said it. He died in my place because I deserve death. No, no. You were so valuable, he included you in his death so you could be included in his life. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not who took on the wrath of God and gave himself for me. No, God was in Christ. Hello? T.F. Torrance says, there is no God standing Behind Jesus. What does that mean? Noah, come here. Come here real quick. You're Jesus. Would you give Noah a hand? Come on. Stand right here. Come on, you're on the cross. You're on the cross, right? Okay. Some people think that God doesn't look like Jesus. But if we realize that, let's say I'm the father. I'm not hiding behind Jesus. I look just like this. There's no, T.F. Torrance says, there's no God hiding behind Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself through his death, burial, and resurrection. Give him a hand. Come on. You need to grow a beard. Eat lots of peanut butter. I want you to get this. Verse 15, he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, and yet now we don't know him that way anymore. Remember, it is the ultimate undercover boss. God shows up to his creation, and we kill them. And in the process, he said, I forgive you. Talk about absorbing our sin and iniquity. And this is the next few verses here I want you to get. He says, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Verse 19, that is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and he's committed us the same word of reconciliation. Hello. Then he says, you are God's ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are called to represent him, to represent him the Jesus way. Then he says, I implore you, be reconciled to God. In other words, awaken to this reality. Hello? Now, why do we hold sins against people and call it God when it says right here that God in the very act of redemption did not count their sins against them? Think about it for a minute. But we always want to blame. Adam did it right after he sinned. He partook of the what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? It was that woman you gave me, Lord. Husbands, you do it all the time. Try to blame your wife while you're not walking with God. Jesus, I'm sorry. Okay, I just had to repent real quick. My own message convicted me. This is the picture of what Jesus is presenting. He's like, you've got it all wrong. What you, you understand, this is, this is what I've, I've come to do. I've come to heal the disease of your blindness and your sin. Now go back to the story of John. I want to close with the scripture in Luke, which is the synoptic gospel. Uh, there's three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the same. John is a little bit different. A different time frame. That's why we believe Jesus' ministry was actually two and a half, three years. If we just had the other three, we don't know how long it is. It could be like a year. But in, in John's gospel, we have it more of a timeline. So in the synoptic gospels, Matthew's, uh, that, that message that says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. How many want to be perfect? We have this idea. What is perfection? I think the Pharisees had the wrong definition of perfection too. The word perfect actually means teleos. It means mature. Teleos is a Greek word. It means complete. It means mature. It's not perfect like we think. Perfect. Live up to the standard. You're perfect. It's a different system. That's a legal system. Now, now I want you to grab that. Now, I'm going I'm to read a verse to you, and then we're going to close. In Luke chapter 6, verse 36, we see the exact same message, but it's a little different. In Luke 6, 36, Jesus is saying, love your enemies. Do good to those that hurt you. And then verse 36, remember Matthew said, be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. Here's how Luke records it. Therefore, be merciful. Totally different, isn't it? Just as your father is also merciful. Why do we think that it's godly to be accusatory and try to blame sickness on sin or blame people for our own sin or blame the, the victim, the person who is actually broken and hurting and say, well, it's because you did all this or it's because your parents sinned or it's a generational curse. Hello? Jesus changes the paradigm and he says to the blind guy, go wash in the pool of scent. Scent is the word apostolos. It's where we get the word apostle. Now, get this picture in your mind. Jesus, in John chapter 20, Verse 21 and 23, he's raised from the dead. He, he completes his work, right? He's about to ascend into heaven. He shows up. His disciples are scared. He walks in the room. Some believe he walked right through a wall. Quantum physics actually demonstrates that this is possible. Jesus is in a glorified, resurrected body. Some say he just walked through the wall. And he says, in their fear, peace. 
And, and then he says, as the Father sent me, same word. The blind guy goes washes in the pool of Siloam. Same word, sent. Because we have to go wash our blindness away in baptism, being identified with his death. And we come alive with him and we learn his heart. We learn his value system. Come on, the Bible says that the anointing teaches us. The anointed one reframes the way we think, changes our hearts. So we see people like God does. We're not holding their sins against them, holding their sins over their head. Oh, you hurt me. So guess what? You got it coming. You better not touch the anointed. Come on, you know you've done it before. Touch not the anointed. I've done it. Jesus says, that's not what I came to do. I came to to usher you in to a different reality that you would be people of grace and nonviolence and mercy and people of love with love that's so extravagant that the sinner comes running because they see a picture of a father with open arms and saying, come, I don't care what you've done and you don't think you're worthy, but guess what? You're not just a servant. You're my son. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. And it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. New creation. Happened in the garden with Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. Breathed on them. (sighs) They're alive again. Mankind is going to change. Things are going to be different now. The kingdom of God is here. And it's like a mustard seed. And it grows. fills the whole earth. It's like leaven in three measures of dough, Matthew 13, 33, and it fills the whole earth. This holy leaven has come. He breathes on them and he says something so profound. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain them, they're retained. Some people think that the church now holds this authority to either forgive people's sin or retain them. That's not what Jesus was saying. If Jesus was saying that, it would contradict everything else that he said about being merciful and forgiving. What was he saying? He's saying, bring the message of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. If you retain them, what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do by retaining sin? Is it going to help you to retain sin? No. His whole message was you've got to forgive. You've got to release. When unbelievers look at us, they should see a picture of a merciful, loving God, not an accusatory one, not one that, that tries to come up with these superstitious ridiculous beliefs that the reason a tornado or hurricane came was because God was judging sinners. Hello. Do we sometimes operate in this value system where we think we're doing God justice and calling out people's sins? Do I believe in having character? Oh, you bet. My spiritual kids know if you're being rebellious, I will tell you, stop being rebellious. Love confronts, corrects, and protects especially if you have access to somebody's heart. But we try to tell somebody the truth and we, have no, we don't even know them. We don't even have access to their heart. Love gives you access to people's hearts. Relationship is the key to speaking into people's lives. We can't just walk up to anyone and just, oh, I have the Lord rebuke thee. Like we just, it's the wrong value system. Hello? Do I believe in, in speaking truth? Yes, in love. But our value system that comes thinking that I'm just going to shed light and I'm going to expose sin. No, the light of God comes, exposes, but it comes and heals the disease of sin. The gospel is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of inclusion. Amen. Thank you, Father. 
We want to see people like you do. We want to be merciful like your merciful Father. We want to represent what the cross represents, which is love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We want to look at people and see you. Jesus said, if you've done them to the least of these, you've done them unto me. If you've done, feed the hungry, clothe the naked. We want to see the value of people the way you see the value of people. We don't want to play the blame game and be fascinated with darkness. And we don't want to partake of the religious system. We want to walk in the light as you are in the light. First John 1, 7. And have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What is he saying? He's saying, you're not judging your brother. You're loving him. Hello? How, many, how much of our Christianity is spent on reading scripture and trying to apply it to someone else's life around us? Oh, I wish so-and-so was here today. They need to hear this message. No, you need to hear this message. How much of what we do is just some religious pat on the back instead of Jesus? I want to be like you. I want to love like you. You came to show me a new way. You came to show me I can love my enemies. If we would do this and get rid of our hidden agenda to make people feel stupid and guilty and sinful and try to get them to repeat some religious prayer called the sinner's prayer, if we just loved them for where they are, for who they are, they would just automatically be compelled into freedom and into destiny. Hello. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's what Jesus preached? It's a gospel of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. It's who he is. It's his heart. He loves every one of you. He loves his people. He loves you. Let's represent him starting now. Amen. Next week, we have an opportunity to bring freedom to the captives. I want you to lift your hands right now and just receive his love. Thank you, Lord. No more fascination with darkness. No more blame game. No more living according to fear. Lord, we have the spirit of adoption where we cry, Daddy, God. Everything's changed. New things have come. We're reconciled. You didn't hold our sins against us, Lord. You came and you've called us to bring a message of love, mercy, and grace instead of asking the wrong question of why this and that, but come and bring healing to the disease of the systemic sin of judgmentalism, of condemnation. We thank you for the freedom that comes through love. We thank you, God, the freedom that comes through love. It's that that brings us into holiness and character. It is not a legal system. It's a gentle yoke. It's an easy burden. It's not a heavy burden like the law of the Pharisees. It's a new way. And we thank you, Lord, that we're yoked with your heart and we move to the rhythms of your grace. We love you, Father. We bless you. Real quick, if there's anyone in this place, close your eyes and you say, I want to meet this loving Jesus. 
Maybe you've never received him in your life. Maybe religion gave you a bad taste. And this story that we're talking about in John 9 resembles maybe your experience. Maybe you've only heard religious, accusatory invitations to this God. But I'm here to tell you that he is inviting you to love and have a relationship with him and to know you're forgiven and to know that he accepts you and to know that he's pleased with you right right where you are. And he wants you to come into this relationship so he can free you from addictions. He can free you from things. If you're in this place, you say, I want to be free. I want to know Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. I want you with every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to quickly raise your hand and say, that's me. I want Jesus. Lift your hand up high. There's hands going up. One, two, three, four. Come on. Does anyone else say, that's me? Pray for me, pastor. I want to know Jesus. I want to know his love. Anyone else? Raise your hand. And maybe you're here in this place. You say, I want to recommit my life to him. I want to love my enemies. Maybe you say, I'm religious. Now, after that message, there's other hands going up. Say, yeah, I want to get right with I want to see people the way he does. I want to be merciful as my Father in heaven is merciful. You can put your hand down. Those eight to ten people that raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. A simple prayer, not a sinner's prayer, but a son's prayer. And I want you, it's a son and a daughter, I want you to just pray with me. And I want everyone in this room, even if you didn't raise your hand, pray it out loud with me if you would, please. Say this, say, Father... You love me, and I know this now. Your arms are open. You forgave me. Thank you for your love. Give me your heart. I want to know you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on and give God praise. Hallelujah.